0: Breaking the stigma of addiction.
1: This is Zach's Life, a story of love, addiction, loss, grief, and recovery.
0: Reflecting on Zachary Horton
1: and others in our community, both both inside inside and and outside outside of of their their addiction,
0: addiction. Hosted by
1: Jim Horton of the Zachary Horton Foundation. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Valley View. This is a special edition. I'm Austin Reed coming to you from our Tower District Studios inside the Mike Briggs building. Hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Austin Reed on air. Today, we have teamed up with Zachary Horton Foundation, founder and president, right?
2: Yeah, president?
1: yeah. Okay. close enough. Close enough, close enough. Our good friend Jim Horton is with us today from the Zachary Horton Foundation. Jim, welcome. Hi,
2: Austin. Thank you.
1: Thank you for working with us here at Valley View. And of course, you have the Breaking the Stigma podcast.
2: Yes. Tell us real quick about that. Yes. So we've been uh, running the podcast now since last July. And so twice a month, we uh, just talk about uh, usually someone local from our area, someone that's involved in uh, addiction resources uh, or that has a story uh, that is important to be told. And so I'll do an interview uh, a couple times a month uh, with that. And and today, we are so fortunate uh, to have with us, so uh, this will also be airing on our podcast in, in about a month, and we're just so fortunate to have uh, Christina Dent with enditforgood.com. And so we're just, uh, again, just, just lucky to have her, and I'm excited for her to share uh, uh, her story and and her path as well
1: well i see her she's in between us hello there welcome to the show can you hear us
0: absolutely thanks so much for having me it's great to be here
1: all right well Jim take it away
2: sure so uh, i i met uh christina through um uh, through a, a mutual uh, friend of ours what what about a month ago i think uh, christina and yeah. and and uh gosh i I, I can't tell you. you know there's there's some there's some people, whether it's the person or whether it's the cause that you're involved with, where there is an immediate connection, and that's really what I felt with Christina and uh, the foundation that that she runs is just uh, so tremendous. And uh, Christina, I just want to jump right into it and, and please uh, tell us uh, tell us about endedforgood.com and. Tell us how you got there and from time to time, Austin and I will interrupt you if we have uh, something to add.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah, End It For Good is a uh, 501c3 nonprofit. We're based in Mississippi. We do work here across the South nationally as well. Um, And really our goal is to invite people to support approaches to drugs that prioritize life and the opportunity to thrive. We do a lot of educational work around understanding where harm is coming from related to drugs, and then rolling that back to say what are the kinds of solutions that we need that is actually going to address the root causes of that harm. Um, so for me, this is not uh, sort of the, the story beginning to the way my life started. Um, it's a totally different outcome than I uh, used to uh, kind of be part of. Um, so I'm born and raised here in Mississippi. I've lived here my whole life. And I was homeschooled, kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, I went to a Christian liberal arts university. I have a degree in Bible. Um, my my whole world was kind of um, surrounded by uh, conservative Christian culture. Um, and that still, in many ways, is, is still my culture. I'm still conservative. I'm still a believer. Um, and so... As part of that, that, what I took in as a child growing up and as an adult was, you know, drugs are bad and drug use is bad and sure. make them all illegal and the problem will get better. Um, and if it's not getting better, then you need to do more of that. You need to crack down harder. You need to give longer sentences. You need to make a, a bigger point if the point you're already trying to make is not hitting home. Right, and so um, that was kind of my. I, I never really gave a whole lot of thought to it. I just kind of took that; it seemed to make sense, and I went on my way. I never used drugs while I was growing up or in college. I just wasn't interested in um, in that. Didn't even you know recreationally um, try them, and so it took a. Um, an experience. It took kind of a you know hitting a brick wall, so to speak, to make me kind of wake up and say, "Wait, maybe, maybe there's more here and, than and I didn't know."
2: L- l- you know, l- l- let me say that I, I think that your experience is not different from how most of us, or I, I can say almost everyone in my generation, grew, you know, grew up. So I I, I mean, while you know you are you have the the southern conservative uh, you know Christian experience, I think we all kind of th- that's what we were taught. Right, you know, I mean, if you hear the same story all the time, that's what you believe. Yeah, you know that you know d- drugs are bad, people that use drugs are bad, and it, you, you know if hey, and if you don't, then it'll just be okay. So just don't do it, right? I mean, that right. was a, a real common philosophy. So yeah, I think that that most people are, are you know come along with that same with that same line of thinking.
0: Yeah. And really, I think most people in my experience doing lots of events now where we have educational events for the probably the most common thing that I hear from people is I've never really thought about this before. Like, I've never really thought through the cause and effect of harm. What does prohibition do when you, you know, you prohibit a substance? Uh, what kind of harm does it, you know, collateral damage does it lead to? And the person who helped me begin to think through that was a woman named Joanne. Um, She had struggled with addiction for about 20 years. Um, She had started using when she was 13 or 14 and she had gotten pregnant with her first child, was not able to beat her addiction during her pregnancy and her son was removed from her custody um, when he was released from the hospital after his birth. And he was brought to my house because we were foster parents and we became his foster family. And so I had this uh, little baby. I knew that he had been removed for that reason from her custody. And in my mind, I thought, well, a mom who uses drugs while she's pregnant couldn't possibly love her child. So clearly he's better off with me. And I don't trust her because no mom like me would ever do anything like that. Right. So I brought him to his first visit with her at the local child welfare office. And um, I parked in the parking lot. I popped his car seat out of my van. Turned around and there is this woman running across the parking lot towards me, and she is crying. And she runs over and just starts kissing this little baby in this car seat. And this is Joanne, my first time meeting her. Um, and I immediately felt really suspicious because I thought, oh no, this is this is put on. This isn't real. This is just you know to try to get me to put in a good word with the social worker. Um, And so she spent her one hour of visitation time with her son, and then he came back to my house, and she went to inpatient drug treatment in another part of the state. But she would call me every day. I had agreed that she could have my phone number, Um, and she would call me and say, can you put me on speakerphone? And she would sing to him over the phone, and it just... The only way to describe it really is kind of this war in my heart starting over everything I have thought about people like Joanne. Um, She's a bad person doing bad things. And now what I'm seeing, which is she is a hurting person who's trying to feel better, Um, not in a helpful way. But I can recognize that she is a mom like me who loves her son just as much as I love my three sons. And her addiction is not... Um, it's not because she's a terrible person. It's not because she doesn't even want to be free from it. She desperately wanted to be free from it. Um, you know, this is a different thing than what I have thought that it was. And I, I need a new way to understand this because we're putting people like Joanne in prison every day. And if that's not the right approach for her, is it the right approach for anyone else struggling with these same health issues that she was struggling with? And that was the beginning of, of a journey of learning for me. Wow.
1: So, um, you know, obviously the war on drugs has been a never-ending story in the last 60 years, just say 60 years, in America alone. Um, Do you feel that maybe the the tide is changing, that we're in 2022? Like, uh, I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, so there's
0: two things happening there. Partially, there's a a movement towards reform, and partially there is a movement to kind of crack down harder. And that's coming because we have this overdose crisis happening right now where we lost over 100,000 people in 2020 to an overdose, record-breaking numbers, absolutely catastrophic loss of life. And this pressure to just do something, we have got to just do something. And so there's these kind of competing ideas. Do we do more of the things we've been doing in the hope that at some point we have this kind of breakthrough and suddenly they start working, even though they haven't worked previously? Or do we embrace something that's really difficult, which is considering changing the way that we have approached drugs for the majority of our whole lifetime, you know, 60 years or, you know, it, like none of us have ever lived in a world where we handled drugs um, solely as a health issue, not as a criminal justice issue. That was, that was how they were handled previous to a hundred years ago, uh, but none of us were alive then. And so we have to engage our imaginations, dig to the root causes of these problems and think through, are we willing to embrace the discomfort of maybe considering if we've been wrong, but that's going to let us save a tremendous amount of lives. What an awesome thing to be part of.
2: And, and uh, Christine, I, I would say that, you know, in, in my, and those that, that, that follow the podcast or that have followed my story know that uh, I lost my son a couple years ago to a, an opioid uh, overdose. And I didn't know that there was any other way to think about it even then. So, so this is all. I mean, in the last two years, the kind of education that's that's come to me, to even see that 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 there is a new way of thinking about it, and and I think the the term that I want to bring up so that, that people become familiar with it is is harm reduction, and and that, that is becoming just uh, it's it's uh, it is it's a shift, it's a pivot in how in how uh, different groups are thinking about it of how we we can approach it and it does it it takes us being willing to challenge ourselves and i know for me i was first introduced to it uh th- through a book that i read and and i know that that i i believe that was the same book that uh, has become instrumental in in your in your foundation in in chasing the scream and so i'd like for you to talk about that a little bit as well please
0: Yeah, so on this kind of journey to learn, so I was first curious about consumers. You know, here's Joanne in front of me. Should we be putting people like her in jail for you know, an addiction. Um, Now we don't technically jail people for addiction, but we do, we put them in prison for possession of drugs, which is what you do when you have an addiction, you're in possession of substances. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, is is that what we should do? So I started learning, asking questions, trying to think, okay, can I zoom out? How far can I zoom out and see this kind of big picture issue? Can I pull myself out of the weeds of kind of an emotional response and say, what, what is, you know, just let's, let's lay the facts out on the table. And what I learned as part of that was, when we prohibit a drug, it automatically pushes it into an underground market, which immediately skyrockets crime. So the vast majority of crime today isn't caused by um, you know random people just wanting to commit crime. If you trace the roots of it back, it's caused by the underground drug market um, that's operating all around us all the time, and it is funding gangs, cartels, terrorist organizations, because it's a a multi-hundred-billion-dollar-a-year industry that is not allowed to operate legally. And so it operates illegally because there's still demand for those substances. So the first thing I learned was, wow, the vast majority of our crime comes from drug prohibition, not from the drugs themselves. If we wanna decrease crime significantly, one of the first things we should be looking at is removing drugs from the underground market, which means allowing them in some way to be operating in a legal regulated market. Then you look at where overdoses are coming from, another huge factor that was just beginning to really ramp up about the time this experience was happening with Joanne. Um, Why are so many people dying of overdoses today? If you dig into those um, uh, numbers, toxicology reports of people after they have passed away, um, now almost 85% of people who die of an opioid overdose have fentanyl in their systems. So fentanyl is a really potent um, synthetic opioid And it's being added to drugs on the street because it allows them to be packaged in smaller packages. So if you have to smuggle something, you want it to be the biggest punch in the smallest package possible. Um, So you can smuggle heroin if you want to, or you can smuggle way less fentanyl. And you can then cut it with other things before you distribute it out onto the street. So fentanyl in our street drug supply is a product of drug prohibition. It is a product of wanting drugs to be in the smallest packages possible so when we look at this overdose crisis we cannot think this is happening because of prescriptions people are not dying of prescriptions primarily they are the vast majority of them dying from contamination because they can't get the drugs they want legally and they're buying them right. illegally and they have no idea what's in that ba- that baggie that they bought um, it might get them high and it might kill them and the 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 margin of error there has become razor thin now that fentanyl is on the underground market. So we have this increased crime, we have increased overdose deaths, um, and then increased incarceration by jailing people like Joanne instead of um, treating their health crisis as a health crisis. And so, when I looked at all of that, it for me it was kind of backing into this um, position that I didn't want to be in. In that, whoa, you know, I I remember the first time somebody ever said to me what do you think about legalizing drugs? And I just got so angry, I left the room. I thought, this is absolutely insane. I can't even believe anyone would ever think about this. Um, But the more that I learned where the root causes of so much harm related to drugs come from, the more I realized, you know, I actually think, um, just pragmatically speaking, outcome-based that allowing some form of um, legal access gives us not just the best way to reduce overdose deaths and crime, but it allows us with consumers to have the best option for them not to feel the stigma of being labeled a criminal. Right. And that is going to allow more people to say, hey, I need help. Right now, if you say, hey, I need help and you're addicted, you are saying, hey, I'm a criminal. Uh, that That is a really insurmountable obstacle for people to overcome even harder than it is just to admit that you need help which is already difficult um and so yeah if we if we really want to see people coming out of that addiction engaging in what you were talking about jim and harm reduction services which is you know can we allow people to take steps towards a healthier life which is kind of the premise of harm reduction You,
2: you know and 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 christina let's let's shift to that right now because uh you know there there's a lot of states uh, there's a lot of counties there's a lot of areas where where the concept of of legalization is going to uh, or let's just start with you know decriminalization right for mm-hmm. use and then and then legalization entirely and having a government controlled and we know that there are some countries that are doing that successfully now but but to, to get all of our 50 states on board with that is that's that's a long haul down the road what do what is that what does harm reduction look like? what does it look like for the professional who has uh, found themselves in a situation where they're now uh, addicted uh, for the useful person society for the uh, adolescent or the teenager uh, uh, for for just the because all these people were just, Normal people before they weren't normal right yeah yeah right? absolutely so, so so how do we and again like you said so clearly for them to say I'm a criminal and to have to take on that mindset is is that's why they stay in denial for so long so what are the steps that we can take before this happens you know way 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 down the road where we can bring a harm reduction and we can start bringing them back in and letting them know that they're still loved that they're still the great people that they always were.
0: Mm-hmm. The thing I love about harm reduction is that it, it allows people to take one step at a time rather than asking for this quantum leap, you know, from chaotic active addiction to a completely abstinent, thriving life where you're working and you've restored all your relationships. Um, that's kind of what we give people right now. Here's your options. You can have a chaotic active addiction or you can have a abstinent, thriving life. And for most people, they cannot make that. We know statistically that is a, a leap that is just about impossible for people to make. It is possible, um, but if you look at how many people try that leap and cannot make that leap all at one time, it is uh, the vast majority of all people. And so harm reduction says, can we meet you where you are? Can we first make sure you have access to Narcan if you're using an opioid where you, know, you have access to an overdose reversal medication so we can at least keep you alive. You know, people cannot recover if they are dead. Right. There is no more further option for them, and we have we have said instead, no. You know, we people need to hit their rock bottom. Um, it, but increasingly, for people particularly related to other drugs outside of alcohol, that rock bottom is death, and there's no coming back from that. So, can we can we pull that back a little bit and say, let's keep you alive with Narcan? Um, Now, you know, are you willing to take some healthier steps? Are you willing to um, use fentanyl testing strips if they're legal in your state for you to, to get? Will you test your drugs at least before you use them to know whether there's fentanyl present in them or not? If there is, maybe you use less of it. Maybe you use slower. Maybe you make sure you use with someone. Another way to keep people alive. Can we help people get a job? Help them find housing. And it focuses, harm reduction focuses less on whether or not someone is using a substance still. And more on helping them build a life they want to be fully present for, one step at a time. Um, I often think about it like cups. Like if your life is full of, you know, heroin right now, if that's what you spend the majority of your day getting and using, if we just dump that out, you just have an empty cup of life. People, nobody can live with an empty cup. Right. But if we can slowly fill that cup up with other things, with a job, with family connections, um, with a house, with a, a pet, with you know uh, engagement in your community, suddenly the the um, the role that heroin plays in your life becomes less and less important, and it's easier to to uh, mitigate that use over time because you're filling your life with the things you truly want that give you meaning. Um, and that heroin is only a place filler. It's only a place filler for the things you really want in your life. So we want to replace that slowly over time with the things you that are truly going to give you the meaning, the connection, the purpose, uh, the identity that, that people are truly longing for. And where we implement harm reduction, we see fewer people dying, more people willingly entering into some kind of treatment if they feel like that's what they need. Um, and staying healthier. And I think if we really push ourselves to think, why are we so scared of drugs? It's because they can harm people. They can they can cost you your life. They can destroy your life. So could we focus instead of on the drugs, could we focus on keeping people alive, reducing harm to them, helping them live a thriving life, um, and focus less on kind of fixating on the drug and more on the person and helping them build a life they want to be fully present for?
2: What? And, 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 Christina, that's, I mean, what a great message. Uh, here's, here's, where my, here's where my mind is going right now. If I'm someone who's hearing this for the first time, I am really challenged. I, I'm saying, yeah, okay, in a perfect world, that sounds great. But right now, I'm way over here, and, and here's where you're talking about getting. I don't even know how to get there. My mind spins. So if I'm someone who's hearing this for the first time and I just want to find out a little more about it, I, I, want, to, I, I, want, to underst- I want to understand it. What are some steps that I can take to get me from point to where I might even be willing to consider this? Because, again, remember for the last you know, several decades, I've only heard this message.
0: Mm-hmm. And now
2: here's, yep. here's something different. But it makes sense. There's something about this that's resonating with me. It, it, it makes sense, and, and I'll tell you—you know—before my son passed, I don't know that I—I I don't know how open I would have been to hearing this message, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, again, the, the the book certainly helped me. But what might be some other resources or maybe, you know, maybe that's a good starting point. I don't know. I'll let you respond yeah. to that, please.
0: Yeah. Um, I, and I'm so glad that you brought that up because, you know, I talk about it now and it sounds like I, you know, in an afternoon, I ended up changing my mind and here I am, you know, <laughs> I started an organization to invite other people to change their mind. Uh, it was about a two year process for me of kind of beginning to learn to like, okay, I have I had all these questions along the way. I found resources that answer those questions. I feel comfortable in this new position now. Um, so I am totally, I have a lot of like, just start the journey. That's what we tell people. Like, just be on the journey. And even if we end up at different places, that's okay. Um, great resource. If you are a reader, Jim and I have both read Johan Hari's book, Chasing the Scream. It's grippingly written, incredibly well-researched. It's the last hundred years of what we've done with drugs, what's been the outcome, and what are options to change what we're doing so we can save more people's lives and help more people build thriving lives. It's an incredible resource. Um, you can also go to the endofforgood.com website and go to endofforgoodcom slash get started, and we have four different ways that you can kind of start that journey. One is just watching a short TEDx talk that I did. It's 20 minutes, kind of that the overarching picture of what's happening with drugs. Um, it could be reading the book. It could be, we have just different resources for you there. Um, but I just encourage you just to draw in a little bit, come follow us on social media, end it for good MS. Um, I'm also on social media at Christina B. Dent. I do a lot of writing about just talking through questions that people have about this. Um, and like you said, Jim, we may, you know, we may not all even end up at the same place. People may learn and say, you know what, I I can get on board with some harm reduction, can't get on board with legalizing anything. Right. That's OK. We can we can work together on the yeah. places where we find common ground and where we don't. That's OK. That's that's the beauty of living in a, in a place where people don't all think alike. <laughs> we can pursue right. different uh, different outcomes, different policy solutions. And recognize that we all want the same outcome. We may not think the pathway to get there is the same, um, but we can pursue that. And that's what we really want people to to change their thinking from we must fight drugs to how can we reduce harm? How can we reduce harm? And when you start thinking about that, you will start reading newspaper stories differently. You will see stories differently um, when you start tracing those roots of where is the harm coming from. And none of these solutions are perfect. There's no perfect solution. This is a world with a lot of pain, with substances in it that can be powerful sources of healing as well as harm. We're looking for realistic solutions that help people, that reduce harm to people, that allow more people to stay alive. And ultimately, our our hope is that it allows people um, to build lives that are thriving, where they're contributing, where they're enjoying um, every breath that they have
2: that's that's awesome yeah
1: fascinating story uh thank you so much for joining us website again where people can get connected fast
0: Enditforgood.com.
2: it for good dot com all right excellent C- christina thank you so much for uh, uh for for joining us today and and just kind of kind of breaking this down for us oh my gosh it is just uh you are such a great ambassador, uh, you know, for for this for this cause, and uh, again, just uh, helping us all to understand a different perspective. Um, thanks,
0: thanks for having me. It's, you bet. It's really an honor, and um, it's just been. My hope is that there are fewer families, and I know you and I have talked about this. Fewer families that are experiencing the devastation of losing a child that just absolutely breaks my heart, and. Uh, wherever people fall on policy, we should be working hard to make sure that that um, stops for as many families as possible. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Christine, th- th- thank you again. And um, as I always say at the end of every podcast, uh, uh, to those listening, uh, find someone. Find someone that you're close to, that you were close to. Seek them out today. Tell them you love them. This is Zach's dad. This has been an episode of Zach's Life. Thank you so much for listening. For more info on our foundation and for addiction resources, visit ZacharyHortonFoundation.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on our podcast, email me directly at jim at ZacharyHortonFoundation.org.